Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. This is Cal and Jacinta on Joy 94.9. Today we are speaking to Dr Lucille Kerr, who is joining us to discuss trans and gender diverse experiences of cancer and care access. Dr. Lucille Kerr is a research fellow at the Cabrini Monash Health Department of Nursing Research. She completed her PhD at the uh, Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University with a thesis titled Malignancies on the Margins, Cancer and the Trans and Gender Diverse Community. She has recently been appointed to the Health Equity Sub-Advisory Group for the National Cervical Cancer Elimination Strategy due to her study on health and cancer care for TGD people. Lucy is also a specialist cancer nurse and her honours research addressed ageing and aged care in trans and gender diverse Tasmanians. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. My goodness, you have been busy. Um, that's like an amazing lineup of work that you've been doing in that space. Um, I, I, are you happy for me to ask the first question? Just Go for it, oh Cal, my gosh. please. You know, in your research, you bring up like important points uh, that gender assumptions accompanying common cancers, for example, breast cancer, prostate cancer, gynecological. How does this impact trans and gender diverse people? So I think um, generally the gendered assumptions lead to a lack of awareness and understanding. Um there's a situation where there is a lack of research, uh, there's a lack of health promotion, there's a lack of outreach for trans and gender diverse people. And trans and gender diverse people are left in the position of having to educate their healthcare providers on their healthcare needs. Um, the gender assumptions cause problematic interactions within cancer care. Uh, essentially, you have a system that almost never recognises the existence of people who are trans or gender diverse. And, you know, cancer care is such a gigantic behemoth. There's so many intertwining services directed at all the different stages of cancer care, from prevention to end of life. And it's just enormous, the sort of everything that goes into it. So then the people working within the systems, um, some of them might be prejudiced and some of them just might not really have much experience or much of an idea about trans and gender diverse issues. Um, and then the trans and gender diverse individuals themselves, you know, they have such a diverse variety of characteristics and background and they can, you know, experience significant adversity. Um, and for a lot of them, there might be too many other things to worry about and they don't actually pay much attention to preventative health and, and um, getting into screening and things like that because there's just, you know, enough to worry about in terms of income and safe housing. Um, so we know that research is limited. We know that screening is not 
used as much as it should be. Um, and yeah, the fear, fear, people's fear might prevent them from accessing services. So they can delay seeking help even if they have a serious issue. Um, and in terms of actual treatment and recovery, it can be um, complicated because within those care systems, they can feel invisible and alienated. Um, so there's a lot going on in this space, really. Yeah, there is definitely a lot going on. And, yeah. you know, for people who do receive a cancer diagnosis and they are going through treatment, maybe surgeries, maybe radiation and chemo and other things, what can the impacts be when they do face these barriers? Can it make things worse while they're trying to go through this cancer experience? Definitely. So, I mean, I think everyone can imagine, I mean, cancer's one of those ones that's so common and it's very feared. Um, it carries with it itself. Cancer carries a lot of stigma and fear. Um, and it's it, a huge journey for anyone to go through um, a cancer journey. It's it's very stressful. But to add on top of that, the layers of, um, you know, stigma and discrimination that come with people who are trans and gender diverse. Um, yeah, there are additional stresses, additional problems. So in our research, we found um, healthcare providers being insensitive and insulting. Um, we found the treatment, some treatments offered or given were inappropriate and sometimes damaging. Um, there was uh, the case of a, of a trans woman who had to detransition because she couldn't, she couldn't find anyone who had the knowledge or felt comfortable treating her because they, they just felt like it was outside of their area. Um, and then there's just exposure to discrimination from other patients as well as from healthcare workers. And there's also, although it's very rare, there's outright refusals of care. Um, so, and particularly in, in cancer care in certain specialist areas, if you are refused care by a consultant, um, there might not be much choice of who else to go to you know it's a specialized area and if you've got a specific cancer then it's hard to find others who can treat it um so there's yeah all additional factors that just make the experience or can make the experience even worse Lucy, I, when you were telling me that, my jaw literally dropped open, and that's you know kind of kind of some horrifying experiences to hear. Mm. I mean, I guess I have to wonder too: is there anybody? I, I guess hang on, let me throw you a curveball here. If this is all right. Um, you know, we we do hear like we've heard and talked about on the show before around how we're building capacity in sort of general practices to better serve through mainstream systems to better serve TGD communities. You know, are we seeing an improvement? I guess, out there when it comes to cancer? Is there any, like, light at the end of the tunnel? And I guess the personal angle I want to ask you is what sparked your interest in it? Um, so in terms of um, improvements, it's kind of hard to know whether or not there are improvements. I mean, anecdotally from my experience, I know that uh, there's a few services that are focusing on aspects a little bit more like I know cervical screening is getting a little bit more attention in the outreach to TGD communities but 
that's only one aspect of what is an enormous system of um, of care. So because there's that lack of evidence, my you know my PhD research was the first in Australia, and there's not a lot internationally. Um, there's we don't have anything to really say whether it's improving or not. We need more data collection and more understanding to chart those improvements. Um, so that's a yeah, it's a bit tricky. Um, and the second yeah, part what brought you was, to it? Yeah, so um, I kind of happened upon the honours research in Tasmania as I was finishing my undergraduate, and that was on trans-ageing and aged care, um, which is another very problematic area. Um, and in the course of doing that research, it came out that a lot of people just wouldn't want to screen. They didn't want to screen because of various factors, their healthcare not being appropriate and also um, issues to do with dysphoria and all sorts of things. Um, and so I went and sort of looked for the literature on the, t on the topic and found virtually nothing. And, um, yeah, I just sort of put two and two together and realised that it would be very useful to have um, some research on it. Um, and, yeah, I suppose that's how I ended up there. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, I guess, you know, this episode, uh, Jacinta and I have also been talking about carers. And so I wanted to follow up as well to say, how can these barriers impact the carers of the person receiving treatment? So i.e. like partners or, you know, chosen family, etc. Yeah, so I think things are improving with partners being recognized increasingly. But when it comes to families of choice, that is I don't think healthcare systems have any space for that. It can be, um, certainly in my research, we had someone who was sort of sort of a, a brother in a, in a brother relationship with the patient and they always, they said that they always found it very hard to make sure that the treating team would contact them when necessary and that they received the recognition that they were, you know, that in that caring position so and we know um that it's caregivers play such a crucial role in cancer care they're often doing a lot of additional work behind the scenes to help people um through that journey and they experience their own deterioration in health and well-being they find it really difficult too and um Again, it's those experiences of discrimination that just add that extra layer to what is already a very stressful time. Yeah, it uh, is something that I can personally relate to and it does have a really big impact when you don't have that recognition and even if it's just confusion from the healthcare providers and the people that you're coming into contact with during treatment and during recovery, um, it can be very alienating and just have an extra compounding impact on it's what you're going through. taxing. Yeah. I mean, you and I were both, you know, have talked about experiences where you're advocating for someone who's unwell and you're trying to provide information and you have this additional layer that you keep repeating and repeating and repeating because different people come into the room mm. for different reasons. And it's just, yeah, that you don't need that burden of education 
as no. alongside with health advocacy. Whereas we're talking about this, you know, there's some pretty kind of um, halting and really confronting uh, things to think about and experiences that we've heard about from people's experiences from TGD communities and going through the cancer uh, experience and, and support system. What are some affirming practices or experiences in cancer care that either you've seen or that you've heard about in your research, um, I guess, that are, are, are leading the way or are good practice, I suppose? Mm. I think and it, like from so I did qualitative interviews with people that had had cancer and the thing that really stuck out about what they found as affirming experiences was pretty simple I guess it was spaces that were welcoming and friendly to LGBTQ people and it was also really just about being treated that quote unquote normally um, it was that feeling of knowing that they were safe because, you know, the, the nurse that was looking after them was gay or their healthcare provider was wearing a little pride flag or the communication was just empathetic. Um, it was, you know, it was really basic stuff that kind of stuck out and it was also the absence of all the horrible stuff that can happen. Um, and I think that that's kind of encouraging in a way because it should be an easy fix um but it's also like a little bit depressing in a way that it seems we haven't been able to fix it quite yet so yeah Mm. and obviously with the research that you do and some other um research that is developing in the area um do you think that things are improving like for example the recommendations from the transcending discrimination in health and cancer care report that you did with archers there were a lot of recommendations in how to improve the care for people who are facing this kind of discrimination when trying to access um health specifically in the context of cancer do you think that those findings are being taken on and those recommendations being implemented in places uh i think i think some things have been picked up a little bit by some organizations um i've received requests from the Cancer Council specifically to point them in the direction of some community members that can help to review their health promotional material and make it more inclusive. So um, I know that there has been some work in that space, but unfortunately it's really hard to get research out there in the hands of a lot of people. Um, It can be limited in that way and, you know, it's the perennial practice research gap that you know everyone complains about um Mm. but it's good um I was you know happy to see to be invited onto the health equity sub-advisory group for the national strategy for cervical cancer elimination um so that will be directly advising on TGD um concerns in relation to cervical cancer screening and also vaccination and just generally eliminating um, that cancer. So hopefully that's one way that I can get that research to help in the real world. Yeah, and it's so important for those communities to have that awareness of the need to screen because that's how we're going to pick up cancer and be able to treat it earlier. Um, And there's so many people who are missing out for various reasons, um, often 
associated with those expectations of discrimination because that is kind of the the standard um, expectation that people have, unfortunately. Mm. Um, Mm. I did want to ask, Lucy, when TGD people use hormone replacement therapy or HRT, they are told about there being a risk of cancer and this is, my understanding, is associated with the fact that cancers often respond to hormones. Um, is there more research needed about this and how can we make cancer care safer for TGD people considering that this direct link exists between trans-affirming care and this risk of cancer? Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a tricky area and it's something that definitely needs a lot more research. There's not really a lot known. So, I mean, some cancers have hormone receptors on them and respond to the presence of hormones. Um, Estrogen in particular is listed uh, in the group one list of carcinogens on on the internet, which is put together by the International Agency for Research on Cancer. Um, So we know that estrogen is a substance that causes cancer, but the problem is that hormones are a really kind of messy business and it's not straightforward. They can also protect against cancer Um, And it varies from each individual cancer. Um, So there's not uh, really any strong evidence to tell us to what degree, if at all, um, HRT affects cancer risk or the morbidity and mortality of um, someone who actually has cancer. And there's, there's a few case studies that suggests that safe continuation is um, is feasible. Um, but again, the problem with case studies is that there's a lot of different variables and it's just one case study. Um, so it's hard to draw any strong conclusions from that. Um, there, there is pretty strong evidence about the effect of, on mental health of HRT in trans people. So, um, and uh, the, although not all TGD people are on HRT or want to be, it is really important to consider that because um, the impacts on mental health can be devastating if you, you know, take that away. Um, so, it's not good enough for cancer care providers to be automatically stopping HRT um, without that good evidence. So, yeah, we really just need more research to be able to safely understand how to navigate that. Lucy, as you're talking, and I know you've touched on, we've seen a little bit of progress in cervical cancer, and I know there's just such a diversity of uh, considerations for different types of cancer, whether that's cervical cancer, prostate cancer, et cetera. Is this one of those things that to see process, we're going to kind of have to do it almost one cancer at a time? Because it does seem like research streams and structures are kind of I guess in silos, for lack of a better term. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, I mean, it's the, it's the thing in cancer care research, so much funding goes to particular cancers. So, I mean, breast cancer is a huge one, and there's good reason that it gets so much funding because it's such a common cancer. So a lot, of, a lot gets directed to different streams, and, yeah, they can be thought of in different streams. I mean, cancer isn't one disease. It's many diseases. It's, it's not, there's not one treatment. There's so many different treatments, and it's getting, you know, more individualised, and the technology is getting, you know, just incredibly sophisticated. So it is, 
it's it's a hard one to tackle because there are so there's so much to tackle within it so yeah i could see i could see there being different progress in different aspects of you know screening or end of life care or or different cancer streams um yeah i think there there needs to be multiple efforts across different fronts mm, absolutely Lucy, I wanted to ask, are there any stories or experiences from your research or perhaps even your work as a specialist cancer nurse that stands out to you as displaying the importance of having trans, uh, the trans aspect of cancer experiences really advocated for um, and included? Mm. Um, the experience that always stands out for me from my research is one that's um, that is quite upsetting. It's quite traumatic. So, um, just a heads up. But it, it happened not too long ago. It happened in a major hospital. Um, and I have the quote in front of me because I don't do it justice if I try and relate it myself. Um, so the participant I pseudo named Tom and he was in hospital with his caregiver present um, who I pseudo named Stephen and they were in a high dependency unit after Tom had come out of ICU after major surgery and about their experience they said um, I said to the nurse you know can you shut the blinds and she said never you mind about the blinds I'll get this done she said, it's all okay, I don't mind, I've seen everything. And she was so accepting that she did not understand that anyone else might not be. So she stripped me naked and scrubbed me in public. And these people here were taking photos and posting them on the internet. And every time there was no one around, either the father or the son would come in and threaten my life and say I was a waste of space and they were going to kill me and they were just waiting for the time. I kept trying to relay to the nurses and the doctors that my life was being threatened and they thought I was hallucinating, so they ignored me. And then eventually the dude came in with an axe. It was for the sake of a nurse who stopped him. She just said to him, you can't bring that in here. And I think as I read that quote, it, you don't expect it to get worse, but it gets worse. And it's um, this is something that, yeah, it didn't happen in the deep dark past, as they said, it happened relatively recently in a metropolitan hospital. So um, the dangers are real, and I think that one sticks out because it's just—it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy story, and there's there's other the other stories of you know having to detransition and being refused treatment, and it all just—it's nothing that someone should have to go through. So. I think, um, yeah, those kind of stories just stick out and it's just like no one should be treated like this. That's insane. Like we're, mm. we're in the studio and we're just kind of like, no. We're just, that's incredible yeah. in, in the worst yeah. way possible. Yeah. Look, yeah, it, look, if that doesn't kind of illustrate that there's some advocacy work to do there, you know, and it, it, I think we do hear that so mm -hmm. many times with these narratives where people kind of go, oh, well, things are, things are improving. They're on the up and up. And clearly we have a long way to, to go. Um, so, if those are the experiences of some people, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's remarkable uh, in, in the most terrific way possible. And we will link to support yeah. services. If anyone finds that distressing on our show page, joy.org.au slash well, 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 um, that's, 
Yeah. Lucy, I, I just wanted to ask, I guess, on, on the flip side, you know, when you hear stories like that, that can be so discouraging. And, you know, you've got experience as a specialist care nurse as well. You know, are there any experiences that keep you going that really drive you? Um, I mean, I suppose that could be a driver in that it's kind of horrific and it's an injustice that we want to see corrected. But is there anything that kind of offers you, I guess, positive reinforcement in your work? There were there were definitely positive stories, and I think, um, yeah, the drive to keep going is that there's still a problem, <laughs> I suppose, um, and. You know, when someone, I think as a specialist cancer care nurse, we often get get quite close to our patients. So we spend a lot of time with them. And, yeah, I think the closeness of relationships and just, empath- you know, just empathetic engagement and stuff, it's a um, driving force behind keeping going. Wow, there's a lot to to process um, from those stories, Lucy. So thank you very much for telling us those stories on behalf of the people who you've worked with and who you've done research with. Um, I guess finally, do you have any advice for people who are going through those really just absolutely heart-wrenching experiences? Um, Do you have anything that you'd like to say to them? Um, I think drawing on, trying to draw on community strengths is, um, the TGD community, throughout my research, I had so much help and, you know, Transgender Victoria is a great resource and there are some wonderful people, um, helping. It's, it's hard. It's, if if people can link in with those services, they can be so helpful. And um, it's hard. It's hard in Australia as well because if you're living regionally or rurally, you can feel extremely alone. So, um, yeah, I suppose if people can reach out to to services that are offered uh, by the community, I think that that um, they can really help. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lucy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you for this episode. Um, Again, thank you for sharing those stories and taking the time to talk to us about such an important but underrepresented and unknown area of healthcare for trans people. And keep up the good work. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being. Presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.